So you see the, the questions before you that we have prepared for response time. We're going to talk about what is your favorite Christmas movie and TV show. And uh, uh, we'll want to know why. So don't, don't be re reluctant to, to speak up. I'm going to tell you what's my favorite one. May surprise you, may not surprise you. Uh, some of you will say, yep, that's Bill, all right. Uh, but yeah, think about what's your favorite TV Christmas or, or Christmas movie or TV show and, and why that's your favorite. And then let's uh, talk about do you expect, do you expect a bodily return of Christ? And we should have a good conversation around that question as well as what, what, do, what do you tell those who ask about your faith? What do you tell people who would ask about your faith. We're reading this morning from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following, and I want to uh, start off by reading that passage. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's consider for just a moment some of the specifics in this passage. There are uh, quite a few names here, quite a few individuals involved in this passage. And I asked the question this morning, what's in a name? There's a number of names here, a number of possibilities of how we might relate how we should respond to these individuals. There are certainly those that would respond to some of these with an attitude of veneration, worship. Joseph, the angel. Wow, I could have uh, prepared a whole sermon about angels, couldn't I have? Be missing the point, could have. Mary, David is mentioned. But let me assure you this morning as we consider this text, there is but one name, the glory of which outshines all others. Amen. So we're told that Joseph and Mary had been betrothed. I don't think this is a word that we encounter a great deal in modern language. So let's consider what the biblical standard, what the meaning is when we're told that Mary and Joseph have been betrothed. For this was in their day and time, in their culture, this was a contract, this was a relationship that was ever bit as binding to them as we understand marriage to be in our day. 
they had been betrothed to each other in which they they are bound to be married and the only thing, the only things lacking are, are cohabitation and the consummation of the marriage. And so for all intents and purposes, in the eyes of the community, in the eyes of others, their families, and in themselves, they are married. And the angel comes to Joseph in a dream. I think if you're a Bible student of any measure whatsoever, you'd have to immediately think about another Joseph whose life was very significantly affected by a dream, by dreaming, and actually by a number of dreams. Joseph in the book of Genesis, the the son of uh, uh, Jacob, Israel, had a a dream that uh, he understood was giving him an understanding of his role and the progress of his life before God. And so it really comes as no great surprise that God would now speak to Joseph, the carpenter, in a dream as he considered these things. It may be that A Christmas Carol might be your favorite Christmas movie or TV show. It's only been made about 400 times. You've got a number of different options to choose from. So even amongst all the, the Christmas carols, you have, to, you have to identify which one, right? I mean, if it's George C. Scott, that's, that's a good one. If it's, if it's Kermit the Frog, uh, that one ain't bad neither. But you know, in, in, the, in the Christmas carol, when the ghost of Bob Marley appears to Ebenezer Scrooge in the night, Scrooge allows that the apparition was generated by what he terms a slight disorder of the stomach. He says, you may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. I can personally, uh, my own life, did attest to the accuracy of this statement as my diet has so very often affected my dreams, rarely in a good way. However, the appearance of the angel in this dream to Joseph had nothing to do with his digestive tract. But rather, as he considered these things, these things were on Joseph's mind. Joseph was giving thought, as, as he is called a just man, that, that, he wanted that he wanted to do right. He's in a predicament. He's in a tough spot. And yet, he has high regard for Mary. I would not be reluctant to say he was in love with Mary. And he wanted to do right by her, being a just man, He wasn't sure what the right thing was. And so the angel appears not as a bit of undone potato, but as a supernatural messenger from God, which gives to Joseph God's word for his life. That Joseph had no doubts, although that this messenger was foreign from anything he had ever experienced. And the message itself, perhaps alien to what Joseph might have considered. The conclusion of the story is that Joseph obeyed. Joseph was a just man, and Joseph was a man of faith. We don't see the word faith here in this text, do we? You can look back real quick if you want, but trust me, it's not there. But where we do see the word faith is we see that Joseph obeyed. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord Lord commanded him. That is... The evidence of faith. 
That's what faith looks like. Didn't just talk about it. Didn't continue to consider. He didn't even pray about it. He did as the Lord had commanded him. As Joseph considered these things with the best of intention, God provided the answer. I was immediately drawn to the fact that the angel draws Joseph's attention to his status in the royal lineage. Joseph, son of David. I really wonder, how many times has Joseph the carpenter been addressed in this way? This could not have been the typical way in which Joseph the carpenter was accustomed to being addressed. And so it would have been that Joseph would immediately have taken notice that he's being addressed as of royal lineage, a son of David, the king of Israel. Joseph, you have a responsibility. Joseph, there is in your veins royal blood. Joseph, you have a responsibility that arises from your birthright. For this day, God has prepared you. Joseph, son of David. Our gospel writer, Matthew, is all about prophecy fulfilled. You read the whole book and you see that one of Matthew's major concerns, major intentions, is to demonstrate that in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this Jesus born to Mary and Joseph, prophecy, that which is foretold in the Old Testament, is being fulfilled in Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And so it is that prior to our reading here, beginning in verse 18 today, what is set before us is the genealogy, a genealogy that records and confirms that the family into which the child was born was a royal family. Mary, betrothed to the son of David, gives birth to a son who, as Luke describes, is of the house and lineage of David. The child which Mary carried was in line to sit on the throne of David, a throne God had promised would be established forever. 2 Samuel 7, 16, And God said, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Joseph, son of David, your wife is giving birth to the king the king who is the fulfillment of all that God has promised to Israel and to the world. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. For the king, for Jesus, there is a path, there is a life, there is a cross that hangs over his birth, that which speaks of tremendous joy for us, speaks of tremendous sacrifice for King Jesus. Christmas, a story of suffering in which we rejoice. Joseph sacrifices the privilege of a firstborn son. His wife will give birth, but the child is not his. Mary sacrifices her reputation. Whatever Joseph may say or do, there will be those sidelong glances the knowing smirk. People have been able to count for ages. And at times like these, the arithmetic can be merciless. And the Son of God sacrifices a throne in heaven. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, born to no-name parents in a nowhere town of a no-place country, born to die. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. David Mathis, the desiring God staff, writes, Some may suspect we are souring the brightness and joy of Christmas when we sing, Nails, spears shall pierce him through. He says, Can't we leave that for Good Friday? Let us have our nice little cuddly baby Jesus at Christmas. No nails, no blood, no death, no thank you. But the word made flesh, coming without a cross in view, is not good news. The light and joy of Christmas are hollow at best, even horrifying. If we sever the link between Bethlehem and Golgotha, the cross he bore for me, for you, he will save his people. It is sinners who are in need of his salvation. Sinners without forgiveness. Sinners lost in total depravity. That is without any hope. That is, they are without God. Sinners under the penalty of God's wrath for their disobedience, for having dishonored Him, for having dishonored Him in their unbelief. He will save His people. And those whom He saves from their sins are His people. Amen. The Apostle Paul was to write, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. When the angel spoke these words to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph heard his people to mean Israel. This was the people of the Messiah, those to whom Messiah had been promised. But God's grace had ever been intended to be extended to a people who would hear the good news and believe. The good news, the gospel of God's gift of His Son, which came to His church, His people, you and I. They shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a very interesting pronoun here. John Calvin actually pointed this out to me. The angel here quoting from the prophet Isaiah in 714 when the Lord is telling Ahaz how he will give him a sign. But as here the angel is quoting from Isaiah, he changes the third person singular where it would say, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And here the angel says, they, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Isn't that interesting? Because they, they means us. We call him Emmanuel. We call him God with us. For he is our Savior and he is with us forever and ever. I, as no doubt you, are often asked if I know somebody. Do you know so-and-so? Often I reply, I know him, but he doesn't know me. But when in fact the person mentioned is a very a close acquaintance, a friend, somebody that I know and somebody that knows me, then I get to say, yeah, I know him. Talked with him just the other day. Yeah, I know him. We had lunch together. Yeah, I know him. Let me tell you about, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And so as the apostle was to write to the Ephesians, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is God with us. Oh yes, I know him. Yes, he knows me too. For Jesus, who will save his people from their sin, is called God with us. Do not fall into the trap. Do not fall into the to the thinking of, of those who would dishonor Christ by relegating Him to a, a, a second place in the Godhead. Do not make the, the mistake of thinking that Jesus is somehow less God than God the Father. For He is God with us. And in Him, we read in Colossians 2.9, in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is not a second-class God. He is God. And He is God who has come in the flesh, incarnate, that He would know us and praise God that we might know Him. In Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is worthy to make atonement for sin. He is the Lamb that was slain, who pays the blood price, for we know the scriptures affirm that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He is sufficient to forgive his people of their sins. He is sufficient to fully, completely, totally save his people. We know he is God with us. God has come to us. He has given us a gift, a gift of himself, and he has given us the privilege to call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's quite a dream. We try to place ourselves in Joseph's shoes before he lies down to sleep for the night as he's considering these things. Things were weighing on Joseph. It was a burden, a heavy burden. He was conflicted. And in one night, in one night, in one dream, Joseph is transported from despondency to hope. The angel of the Lord quiets his fears and points the way for him to preserve his marriage and serve God in a most miraculous way. To us, there's likewise a message of hope here. The message that, that God accomplishes all that he promises. God will do all that he has said. Jesus, in fact, in truth, saves his people from their sins, saving from death to life. He is the way, and he has opened the portal to God's presence that we may call him Emmanuel. He is King Jesus. He is a king. He is our king. He is a king who reigns eternally forever and ever. And he is a king who is coming to gather his people unto himself. He is the King of Kings. He is the King of Kings who invites all who love Him to sit down at His table and be satisfied in His kingdom 
for all eternity. What child is this? This. This is Christ the King. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And He will save His people from their sin. The host who follow the Lord, the King of glory. What child is this? This, this is Christ the King. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What child is this? This. This is Christ the King. Haste, haste to give Him laud. The King of kings salvation bring. Let loving hearts enthrone Him. What's in a name? In the name of Jesus, there is salvation. Father, we praise you and give you thanks for the hope that you have granted to your people in your word, that you have sent your Son to be our Savior, and that we can know Him as God with us, that we, O Lord, can call ourselves your people as you have saved us from our sins. We pray, O God, that you would now grant to us that faith, that hope, that joy that can only come from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.